0: Good morning, and welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville on this 12th day of Luvuary. So if you're not a Hallmark Watcher, then I said youary," which is a really weird word, but it is February, right? And uh, so we've got uh, Valentine's Day that's coming up in two days. So I wanna encourage all of you ladies and wives to get out there and get your shopping done for Valentine's Day. So I walk into Walmart every, not every, but a lot of Valentine's Days, and I see all these women just scrambling around for uh, cards and roses. And I've been told uh, that um, you just can't do it that way. So you got to prep. you got to go beforehand. So buying Valentine's gifts on Valentine's Day is no good. So I just want to tell you ladies right now, don't do it. also, the two days before Valentine's Day, which is today, is uh, Man Day. <laughs> now, I don't know what that means, and I didn't look it up, and I assume there's a Woman Day some other time of the year. But two days before Valentine's Day, just so you know, for trivia sake, this is Man Day. Which means that uh, ladies, for a Valentine's gift, is not valid to take your husband to a Super Bowl party. That doesn't work. That's you got to you got to do it on Valentine's Day. All right. Enough about Valentine's Day. Let's turn to John chapter twenty. Well, we're, we're going to read off of several different play or three different places here. So John chapter twenty. C.F. has started off with uh, the book of John, started last week, and we're going to end up at John one, but we're going to start with John 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of the book of John. Now I'm gonna turn to Micah, chapter five, verse two. Micah, chapter five, verse two. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Have you turned back to John 1 1? John 1 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and its truth, and Lord, I pray that we will invest all that we have into it, that we will treasure it, that we will know it, we will allow it to be exemplified through our lives, uh, allow you to work through us to be a light in this dark world, to our family, to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, strangers, people who persecute us, whatever it is, that we will be a light to them. Pray, Lord, for your word to be made known this morning through CF because of you speaking through him. Pray, Lord, that we'll be able to understand it and your spirit will work in our lives. And we say this in your name, amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone. Good to have you here. We're going to begin our study in the Gospel of John. We had the intro last week, and so we're going to begin the actual Study of the book and, of course, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1. We're going to take a look today at the uh, pre-existence of Christ. Uh, There's an erroneous belief that Christ came into existence at his birth. But all his birth was was an incarnation whereby God took on a human body, came here to earth. He existed prior to that. And the importance of the pre-existence of Christ, when I use that word pre-existent, I mean he was pre-existent to his incarnation. Okay. But we're also going to see as we study this, he was pre-existent to the creation of heaven and earth. And with that pre-existence comes a lot of things that are very important as they relate to the person of Christ. Of Jesus Christ and so we're going to look at them and see them as we go through the gospel of John So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll take a look this morning Father we come this morning in prayer and Lord Folks before me come from all walks of life Deal with different issues in their life and I know you're well aware of that But Father help them be aware that you are aware And you know everything and yet even though knowing you have a solution and a plan For them And, Father, might they rest in you, understanding that you have a way for each person, that you will bring comfort and strength to them this morning, hope, and they would realize, Lord, that with you all things are possible. So help us, Father, as we study the word this morning. Keep me from error. Help me to explain it clearly and accurately and that your people would receive it and put it to use in our life and we'd better serve you that way, for it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord, amen. When I talk about the preexistence of Christ, the preexistence of Christ is fundamental to many other teachings in scripture. For example, it is a foundational truth that sets other doctrines in place, such as his incarnation, his resurrection, his atoning work, because the preexistence of Christ speaks also to the fact that Jesus Christ is God, and is gonna reveal to us that he is God. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is, without a doubt, the greatest expression of the love, of, of the definition of love that's ever been made. That God, who is holy and just and righteous, took on a human body and lived among man, suffered at the hands of man, and then died on behalf of man to deliver him from his sin. It's the greatest love story that's ever been written. And as we look at the preexistence of Jesus Christ, we're going to see the purpose that he had when he came into the world and get a clear picture of it. As you look here in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. What that passage tells us, when he uses the word beginning, what he simply means there is when time and matter came into existence. Prior to that, there was no such thing as time and matter. It was just the eternal realm and and the person of Jesus Christ dwelling with the Godhead in perfect harmony and perfect love. And yet what God does is he sets things in motion when he creates both time and matter. We as human beings can only relate to that realm of life. We have very limited understanding of anything beyond that. Matter of fact, quite often when I'm preaching, I'll use statements like eternity past. Uh, There is no time in eternity. There is no past in eternity. But I'm speaking from the reference of a human being as you look back into eternity. There were certain events that occurred. So when we see this, as it's written here, you look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So we see that He is the beginning of all physical things that exist. All physical things that are in place that we now know, he is the author of those. He put them into operation, if you will. So that puts Christ in a very high and lofty position. When we talk about the incarnation, we talk about the fact that Jesus Christ took on human flesh and came here to earth. All right. When we talk about Jesus Christ as the only begotten of the Father, what we're speaking to is the truth that Jesus Christ is a God-man. When the Bible says the only begotten of the Father, the Bible's speaking of the uniqueness of the person of Christ, the one and only person of Christ. That he is 100% God, and undiminished deity, and he is 100% man without sin, brought together in one person, one being. There's never been another one like him. There never will be another one like him. He is the one and only. He is the creator and the savior of all that is known to man. And so what we're gonna do is we go through here and we look at these passages and stuff, we're gonna see a clear reference and testimony to this truth. When we look at the Bible, we're going to go back to the book of Micah in the Old Testament. If you turn back there to Micah, and uh, if you would look at Micah chapter five, and we're going to look at verse two, and this is a passage of scripture that you see quite frequently uh, brought forth during Christmas time, because we celebrate the birth of our Savior, It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Bethlehem was a very small, insignificant little town. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. A passage of scripture there is saying there's going to be one that comes into the world and he's going to come into the world in the city of Bethlehem. But he existed way back before that. He existed in eternity. That his goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And what that simply means is they did not have a dated beginning that he just simply existed, and that he comes into the world. That in and of itself speaks volumes to the truth of the Incarnation. It was a prophetic scripture given by Micah 700 years before the time of Christ. 700 years before he came to the earth. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, think about this, folks. The United States of America has yet to exist for 250 years. Add 500 years to that. You think of how far back the beginning of the United States of America is, and then you go back another 250 years, and then go back another 250 years, that's when the prophecy was given. And then it was fulfilled in the city of Bethlehem, and Christ came into the world. So these prophetic references to this speak to give us a more complete picture of what actually took place. When you look at the book of Genesis, look at Genesis chapter one, verse one. If you'll look at Genesis one, one, the text says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see a parallel between that verse and the first three verses of John? Hold your place there in Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then you look at John 1:1, 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is the creator. When you talk about God, people speak of God in a generic sense. But God is is spoken of in three persons in Scripture. Speaks of the Father, speaks of the Son, and speaks of the Holy Spirit. They are different and distinct persons, okay? Not like God at one time acted as Father, and then He acted as Son, and then He acted as Holy Spirit. That's modalism. That is a heresy. That is not true. There are three distinct persons in one. And they make up what we refer to in a theological term as the Godhead, okay? One God known in three persons. Unique, People, you can't relate it to anything here on earth. You just gotta accept it by faith that that's what the Bible presents to us and that's how it's revealed. Jesus is the visible physical representation or manifestation, if you will, of God. You cannot see the Father, you cannot see the Holy Spirit. The only member of the Trinity that you can see is the person of Christ. But these three members lived, and Christ is the one that was the agent of creation. Look back to John yet again, and in John 1.14 it says, and the Word became flesh. For the Word was incarnated, all right? That's what the word incarnate means, put on flesh. The word was, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the only one and unique one that ever lived is this person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. And John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, when you go back in the book of Luke, Luke gives us a very detailed explanation. John the Baptist was born from Elizabeth, and Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist, and about the time that John the Baptist had been in her womb for six months. Mary is encountered by the Holy Spirit and informed that she's gonna conceive a child from God. She's gonna bear this child. And she agrees to that arrangement and she is impregnated. One of her first people that she talks to is Elizabeth. And so she goes to Elizabeth and she tells, uh, is gonna tell Elizabeth about her ha- having this baby. And it says that when she entered the room, the babe in the womb of Elizabeth leaped with joy. So John the Baptist was six months before Christ, but he recognized Christ. In this passage, when John speaks, John cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. When John was doing his earthly ministry, Christ came to him for baptism to begin his earthly ministry. And John had been informed that upon whom you see the spirit of God descending in the form of a dove, that is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So John is out on the river Jordan and he's baptizing people and he sees Jesus come and he knows who he is, but he doesn't reveal him because he has to be obedient to the word. And Jesus comes up to him and said, you need to baptize me. He said, man, I'm not, there's no way I can do that. Modern paraphrase. He, he says, I can't do that. You know, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. Jesus said, so if scripture be fulfilled, you need to do this. And so he baptizes John, the spirit of God descends upon him. The spirit in the form of a dove descends upon him and so he's verified or validated before John. And the next day, John's out there baptizing on River Jordan. He sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He had prophesied there's going to be one that come that's after me, but he's preferred before me because he was before me. And so what he's saying in that passage is that Jesus was born after John, but he existed before John and he is greater than John. If you look at that passage, he says, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, meaning he ranks higher than me. For he was before me, because he's pre-existent. That's what he's saying there. He is God, he simply came into time, but he's been here for everlasting. He's been here forever and ever. So he gives testimony to it. You go to John 18, uh, one i I'm sorry. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So it is the person of Jesus Christ that declares God or brings forth God. That word declare there means to exegete or to explain. It's the style of preaching I do is called exegetical preaching. Exegetical preaching seeks to bring the meaning out of the passage. Uses the, uses the scripture as the, as the base of authority and simply explains what the scripture means. Okay? When Jesus Christ came into the world, he explained to the world who God truly is. That's what the passage is saying when it talks about Christ being the word, it means he is the revelation of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He is the revelation of God. What do I mean by revelation of God? Revelation of God is whereby God reveals to man who he is. Man left to himself cannot figure out how God is. Matter of fact, Man left to himself will always have a distorted view of God. Every religion in the world has a view of God, but every one of those views of God is in the form of a man, and somehow God is subservient to them because they all involve a system whereby this God can be appeased, he can be manipulated, He can be put into a position where he brings favor towards you. You can coax a man-made God into doing what you want. If you can make God do something, he is not God. You understand that? Because the character of God is that God is free. And God can do as he chooses when he chooses. But witchcraft and false religion teach that you can manipulate and coerce God. Man loves that kind of a God. A manageable deity. When I was in seminary, right before I went to seminary, I read a book called, The Manageable Deity. And it was written by a theologian years ago, but he talked about how mankind wants to have a God that they can control. And it's very subtle because it comes from what we are. We are depraved sinners separated from God. And this thought or idea comes from within that. Because even among Christians you will hear people say, how could God do something like that? Or why would God do something like this? As if we can validate the actions of God. A statement like that reveals or should reveal to you the utter depravity of a human to think that they can question what God does. When Job began to question God, God said, who do you think you are? Words to that effect. That's not the direct translation. That's what he's saying. Where were you when I hung the stars and the moon? Where were you when I created the wind? Where were you when I created the wind? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? That's basically what he's telling Job. Because man wants to manipulate God. I've seen this in a number of religions, but I've seen it up close and personal, uh, where especially in pagan religions, where people constantly are having to make sacrifices to appease what they call the gods. And this is very common in in Eastern religions. It's very common in uh, pagan religions. This, this entire concept of the afterlife and how you can manipulate or move God to do what, make him do what you want him to do. And one time over in Haiti, I was walking with an interpreter and we were going up to a village to preach the gospel and we're on a back, back trail going up the side of a hill and this little Haitian guy is walking down the trail and he's got a chair on his head. You've probably seen these chairs made out of wicker He had woven this chair, uh, cause I quizzed him all about it and stuff. And he wove his chair by hand. It was a beautiful chair, but he was going up there to sell it to a person. And he had the seat on his head and the back was down his back like this. And he's walking along the road, come up the hill. And so I told that interpreter, I said, let's stop this little guy. I want to share the gospel with him. He goes, all right, we'll do that. So I engage him in a conversation started talking to him about Christ and about salvation. And I got to the point where for him to trust Christ, and he said, no, I, I cannot do that. I must go prepare. And I said, what does that mean? I asked the interpreter. And he said, well, what it means is he's going by his parents' grave. And in that bag that he's got on his hip, he's got a sacrifice in there and a candle. And he's gonna to go to that grave and he's gonna pay a sacrifice to the gods to protect his family in the afterlife. And I thought, man, how strange is that? And I kept talking to him about Christ. And I said, you would not trust Christ? And he said, Christ must prepare too. And I said, no, he he doesn't. I said, you're getting off track now. And I told that interpreter, I said, you can tell him he's a little heathen. He doesn't understand the truth. He's a heretic. And my interpreter started laughing goes, he knows, he knows, You, you are right, he knows. And he knows his people, he said, I know. He said, he's not going to trust Christ. So we shared the gospel with him again. He still rejected Christ because you can never get by this concept that you have to be paying for something. And that's what religion teaches. Religion teaches that you have to do certain things to be accepted by God. That's what it teaches. And people cling to that, hang on to that. There's only one thing God accepts, and that's himself. And that's his payment for sin. When God went to the cross and paid for our sin on the cross, that is all that God accepts. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. Any righteous thing that we do, it's a direct result of the Holy Spirit doing it through us. All we're doing is submitting to the authority of God in our life and allowing ourselves to be a vessel for the work to be done but religions teach that and so god what he has to do is he has to reveal to man this is who i am this is what i expect and that's what the revelation of god it is god revealing himself to mankind and the ultimate revelation is when god came here himself and lived among his people and that's exactly what jesus christ did jesus christ came lived here on the earth to explain to us who God is and ultimately to go to the cross and die for our sin. He said, I came into the world not to serve myself, but to serve others and to give my life a ransom for many. That's why he came. He came to do that. And so what this scripture is telling us here in 118 is that that God came into the world to reveal to us who he is. Look in John chapter three and look at verse 13. Jesus speaking. He says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Note what he says. I came down from heaven and I'm going to ascend back into heaven. He's speaking right there of his preexistence of what he's gonna do. Go to John chapter 8, and you look at John chapter 8, and we're gonna begin in uh, let me get to eight. we're gonna begin in verse uh, 52, John eight and 52. John eight fifty two says the, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. They're talking to Jesus. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? He he was telling them stuff that they said, this guy sounds like This is from their perspective. It sounds like he's claiming to be God. Who do you really think you are? And Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And what you don't see in this passage is a number of heads whipping back and forth as they look at each other like this guy is doing exactly what we thought he was doing. He's claiming to be God. Who does this guy think he is? Then the Jews said to him, you're not even yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the name of God right there. He is claiming that name for himself. And you can know that because look at the next verse. It says, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And somehow, what Jesus did is he just simply vanished from their presence. Why would he run away like that? Because it wasn't time for him to die. He had to die on the cross, is where he had to die. He's like, you yeah, guys ain't going to stone me. Put them rocks down, <laughs> get a grip. And he's gone. Like, where'd this guy go? And, we, and it shows you the hardness of man's heart. This guy tells them straight to the face who he is. Then he vanishes out of their midst. And they chase him all over the countryside to get him killed. I wouldn't mess with a person like that, personally. I wouldn't. And, and they come up and arrest him. And Peter cuts the, the servant's ear off. And Jesus puts it back on. And they say, okay, now let's arrest him. If I saw something like that, I said, look, I'm up. Y'all going home with this thing? I'm going back to the house, man. I'm done with this. I'm not gonna be a part of this, man. But that just shows you the depravity of these people, how they pursued him and went after him. Go Go to, look over in the book of Exodus chapter three. Let's look at the third chapter of Exodus. And in this third chapter of Exodus, look at verse two. Well, I'll start with one. It says, back up to one. I know people in the booth hate me, man. I just, they have to scroll backwards continually up there. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, and the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he is afraid to look upon God. So what you have here in this burning bush, you have what is commonly referred to as a theophany, an appearance of God. More specifically, what you have is a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the person of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ, a visible member of the Godhead, who has covered himself with this flame and speaks to Moses from this bush. And so Moses wants to know who he is. And it says in verse 11, but Moses said to God. Who who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yeah. It's the name of God. So when you look back at this passage in John 8:58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Those Jewish people knew exactly what he was claiming in that statement. Right. He's claiming to be God, fully God, 100 percent God. Go back to chapter six in John and look at this. In John chapter six, in verse 16, he makes this statement here. Let me see here. I'm sorry, John 6, 38, wrong verse. John 6, 38, look at this verse. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." Note that, where did he come from? Heaven. He said, I came down from heaven. So he is in heaven. A question came up the other day to me, where is heaven? What is heaven? Well, the Bible speaks of heaven in this sense. You have the heaven that you, that you breathe air in, and birds fly around in, you see the clouds and stuff. And then there's the second heaven, which is where the solar system And galaxies and a vast expanse of universe is. And then there's a place called the third heaven, which is also referred to as paradise or the throne room of God. It is a heaven that exists outside of the creation because God is not a part of his creation. He's separate and distinct from that creation, but he speaks into and operates in that creation. Okay, he comes into the creation to do his will, but he's outside of it that's the heaven that he speaks of. Jesus said, "I came from that heaven and came to you." So he's in essence telling them I'm pre-existent. Look at verse 51. "I am the living bread which here it is came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give my life which shall give which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus speaks of his pre-existence in that passage. Look at verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Note that, the living Father sent me, sent me from heaven. I existed prior to this. Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? And they're going to see that because in Acts chapter eight, he ascends back to the father in front of them. He came from heaven. He did his work here on earth. He went back to the father. He ascended back into heaven. Look at John. Chapter eight, verse 23, John chapter eight, verse 23. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Meaning I'm not a part of the created order of this world. His birth was supernatural in that the seed of God was implanted into the Virgin Mary and brought forth the Son of God. Now these kind of sayings folks are hard for people to receive. I read an article just this week where the Church of England is voting on just taking Jesus out of the Bible. Just take him out of there. Why? Because it contradicts what they believe, contradicts what they think. Because they're into this cultural wokeness that's pervaded all the created order that we live in. Every country is involved in it to some extent. A great deception that's being vomited out across the world that people are gobbling up and buying into. And people that you would never expect jump into. It. Well, here's a church now that's going to get in on the scene and say, well, you know, we're just going to take Jesus out because that becomes too divisive. You just have a man-made religion that offers nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, except to elevate the pride, the ego, and the evil sinfulness of man. That's all it does. That's all it brings about. Because the person of Christ is central to all of Scripture. The whole book, he says, the volume of the book is written about me though it's in a veiled, concealed sense back in the book of Genesis all the way through the law and the prophets, then it comes to the Gospels and you see the presentation of the Messiah, then all the rest of the book looks back to him and in the book of the Revelation talks about what he's going to do to come. All the book zeroes in on the person of Christ. That's who it focuses on. You take Christ out of the Bible, you don't have anything. You don't even have a good story because none of it will make sense because the central figure has been eradicated from the book. And yet you have the Church of England voting, having a committee to do this because they said it would it would make people a lot easier. Well, you better believe it would. Why have any religion at all? Just live like you want to live and do what you want to do. But clearly in this passage he says distinctly I am not of this world. So folks, let me put it to you this way. Jesus didn't begin when he was born. Because he wasn't born. He's from everlasting. He took on a human body and came into the world, and then he left this world. He's pre-existent. There's other scriptures that speak of this too. Go to John 17, John the 17th chapter. In John chapter 17, if you look there, uh, I'm gonna begin in verse one, John 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself. And look at this, with the glory which I had with you before the world was pre-existed. He said, the, 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 the glory I had before the world was even created, before time and space came into existence, I was with you. Why does he need that glory restored? Because, folks, he came here in a human body and it veiled his glory. You could not look upon the person of Jesus Christ had he not had that, hu- that human body on and had he not voluntarily laid aside divine attributes, chose not to operate in them, we would have no Jesus Christ. He had to veil that. He had to shield us from that because we we're evil and sinful and if we'd come into his presence, we'd be consumed. Look at John 17, 24. Father... I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see that? Pre existence, right there. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Christ talking about his going back to be with the father. Look at Colossians. Colossians is also an explanation of the gospel of John. You look there and we just went through it. So this ought to be fresh on your mind. Colossians chapter one. And if you'll look there at Colossians one, look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn meaning, uh, a protokos means to rank in preeminence, to be a position of authority. It has nothing to do with being born. The firstborn is the one that has all rights and privileges. So it means he ranks in preeminence over the creation. It says in verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And this is the part we often miss, and for him. We exist for his pleasure. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Very clear passage right there. All right, let's conclude. Let's go to the book of the Revelation. What does the book of Revelation say about him? Look at Revelation chapter one. Verse 17, Revelation 117. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Speaks of his absolute authority is what it speaks of. Look at Revelation chapter two, verse eight. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. That's the person of Christ. Revelation chapter 22. Look in Revelation 22 and look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus Christ is pre-existent God. I think that's clear through scripture because he refers to himself as coming from heaven. He uses the name of God. He is equated with God. And so part of that necessitates that he be pre-existent. And that's what the scripture reveals to us. He's pre-existent God. You stop and think about it folks. That pre-existent God that spoke all this into being, how insignificant am I? The overall plan of God. When you think of all the people that have been on the earth, you think of all the people in the creation that he has created, and yet that God zeroes all that down and put his focus on me at a day and time. And what did he do? He drew me to himself. You think about that that God loves you that much with all that God has and yet he knows you personally. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows every thought before it's even formed in your mind. He knows it. You think about the vastness of God from that standpoint. That's what the preexistence of God tells us is that this Jesus is God. He's fully God. And he came into existence in the world. Why did he do that? To explain to us who the father was and to pay the debt for our sin so that we could have eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessed gift of eternal life. We thank you, God, that is great and majestic as you are. that you sent yourself here to earth to live and to die for our salvation. Help us to understand what we truly have in a person of Christ. And let us worship him and give to him all the glory and all the honor that is due. For he is God. And we are grateful that you've included us in your plan. Father, I pray if there's one here today that's never come to faith, never trusted you by faith, that they would see who you truly are, that you are the living God, that you are the one that we have to deal with, that we have to do business with, but you've made a way for each of us. Through the death that you died and the resurrection that you live, you have set us free from sin. Might they believe on that and trust in you for their salvation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.